0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1. For those of you who have not been here with us, maybe you're visiting today or being gone for a while, the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have been going through the book of Acts, uh, and we went through all 28 chapters for over the course of a year, over a year over, I don't know, 60 plus sermons. I loved it so much, I want to start all over again. So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm just kidding. Uh, We're going to highlight this wonderful truth, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus, just by way of reminder, he died on the cross for sinners. He rose from the dead to prove that he was the Savior and judge of the earth. He spent 40 days with his disciples to give them final plans. And then after those 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and he has been reigning as Lord of lords, king of kings in heaven for the last 2000 years, overseeing everything. In perfect control. And everything is going according to plan. Before he ascended back into heaven. Jesus gathered his disciples together, answering a question. Basically saying, no, I'm not going to restore the literal kingdom on the earth right now in Jerusalem physically, as is predicted in the Old Testament. That will come in the future someday. But in the meantime, something else has to happen. With respect to work in the kingdom, and that's work that needs to be done right here on earth until I return again, literally as king of kings. But be patient. Trust me. Follow the plan. Represent me until I return here on the earth. Verse 6, chapter 1. So when they had come together, they were asking, him, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? Are we going to overthrow the Roman Empire and all the pagans and literally rule on earth? And verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs, which the father has fixed by his own authority. Uh, That will happen. It will happen in God's time. The father is in charge, not you. Don't worry, it's okay, that's coming. Verse 8, but in the meantime, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit of God would come uh, shortly thereafter, Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, and anybody that was a believer, the Spirit of God would come upon them in a way He never had in the history of the world, and it happens still in this day. Once you believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you confess your sins and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life to change you, to save you, to be your Lord, then you are saved. Immediately you're born again, you are changed, you're transformed, you're adopted from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of our glorious God. And you become a member of the body of Christ. And in that very moment that you believe and you're supernaturally changed, God Almighty puts the Spirit of God literally to live inside of you. So those of you who are Christians, the moment you believed, as long as you have been a Christian, you have had the Spirit of God living in you. Absolutely amazing. What a wonderful truth. That's what he's talking about. And that Holy Spirit that comes to live in you is the the Almighty, eternal God, part of the triune God, that same Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God was involved in creation according to Genesis 1 verse 2 that same spirit of God uh, who is infinite and everywhere and knows all things according to the Psalms and that same spirit of God that it says in Romans raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is amazing supernatural power that same spirit lives in the child of God that's what he's talking about verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then as a result when you have God's power not in your own power that's the point then you shall be my witnesses you shall be my martyrs is the word martyr in the greek and today for us martyrs is somebody who gets killed or dies on the behalf of witnessing for someone else a christian martyr you die for your witness on behalf of god uh, but originally it just meant witness and it's a legal term and it's a term used in the courtroom where there is evidence you give testimony you give verbal testimony To defend the truth with a judge watching who renders a verdict. You will be my spiritual witnesses. So that's our job. And this is this applies to all Christians. So the moment you believe, became a Christian, born again, regardless of your age, your training, doesn't matter. If you're a Christian in the family of God, then God has called you to be a a witness for him. To witness on his behalf. To speak up on his behalf. To testify on his behalf. To be bold in defending the truth on his behalf. To not be a coward and compromise the truth. And we have the power to do that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall be my witnesses. So if you're a Christian, what are you? Well, you're not just a Christian. You're not just born again. You're not just a child. You're also a witness. So, so what are you? I'm a witness. What's, what's your religion? Well, I'm a witness. That's a that's a beautiful term that we can identify ourselves. With. I am a witness, a witness. of And also, it's intriguing because it'll prompt questions. I mean, it's an invitation to a conversation. Hi, good to meet you. Who are you? Oh, I'm a witness. That'll start it up. a, a, a witness. For what? And there you go. A witness for for Jesus Christ. So you are called to be my witnesses, both and then god has a very specific strategy you start where you are you start in jerusalem for them they were in jerusalem you start where you are you, you you uh in closest proximity a steward of where you are right the here and now you got to be faithful where you are now in the little things in the mundane the uh, mundane things the ordinary things the trivial things the uh normal course of things those to your left those to your right those in front of you those in your family those in your neighborhood those in your household those who you work with those who you rub shoulders with all the time right there you start in Jerusalem. that's what he means be a witness there if you can't be a faithful witness to somebody you see every single day at work or across the street or in your own home or in your own family you're not gonna be a faithful witness on the other side of the world so you got to start where you are in jerusalem and if you are faithful there immediately in jerusalem in your own backyard jesus said be faithful in the little things and then god will entrust to you greater things well, I, I want to be a missionary to the ends of the earth. I've, I hear that from people. I used to think that when I first got saved. And a fair question is, oh, you want to be a witness and a missionary to the ends of the earth, in another country? What? How's it going in your? Fa- Tell me about your family. Do your do your parents or your siblings know Jesus? Well, th- no, they don't. Okay, have you ever told them the gospel? I've heard answers like, well, yeah, I haven't. I've actually heard Christians say, well, no, I actually haven't. Oh really? So you've been a Christian for seven years. You've never told your siblings or your parents about Jesus, and they—you they, see them all the time. Yeah. Wow. You got to start there. That's what it means to start in Jerusalem. That's God's strategy. Start here, uh, plant the seeds, be faithful. God will give uh, other opportunities outside of Jerusalem. So start in Jerusalem where you are, uh, and then it'll spread. Then you go to Judea. That's the next concentric circle, and then after that's done, then you go to Samaria. And then the goal is the remotest parts of the earth. The whole earth needs to hear about Jesus. So this is a a very important missions, methodology, strategy, and even theology uh, for the church of how to do missions, how to do evangelism. And then actually for the rest of the books, chapters uh, 1 through 28, Luke, who wrote this book, shows how the apostles were faithful to this calling, to this strategy And they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, so they were successful there. Then it was spread to Samaria through persecution, actually Judea, and then Samaria, and then God brought Paul, and he brought it to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we preached in Acts chapter 28, didn't get to the last two verses, where Paul landed in Rome, and then we're going to see next time how Paul goes beyond Rome to even further parts of the earth, and faithfulness to this mandate of Acts 1.8, so just a key verse for us to think about today, that if you're a Christian, then God has called you to be His witness. It's a very personal witness, by the way. It's my witness. Hand selected by Jesus to be His witness. It's amazing. It's awesome. What a privilege. And, we, most Christians know this. This is basic. This is fundamental. This is what we're called to do. But it's not easy to be a witness for jesus uh jesus himself said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak that's true in all areas of life i I know i should share the gospel and be an evangelist wherever i go and sometimes i don't out of laziness out of selfishness out of cowardice out of fear of rejection out of fear of being ostracized i mean and and the excuses just go on and on or i don't feel competent so we have our excuses and just have to keep laying it before God in prayer. So what I wanted to do this morning is use today is like one of our missions Sundays that we have maybe once or twice a year just to focus in on what God has called our church to do to be a part of fulfilling the great commission, taking the gospel from our Jerusalem here in Sunnyvale and beyond, locally, uh local missions, local evangelism and also to the ends of the earth, uh global missions global evangelism and so that's that's what our church has done over the last 11 years we've kind of formalized our theology and our methodology of how are we going to approach evangelism and missions here at grace bible fellowship because churches do it differently and uh, our everything that we try to do we think flows we want it to flow out of the bible we want it to flow out of the book of acts we want it to flow out of the biblical mandates that are clearly articulated we don't want it to be infected by any human wisdom or modern day uh, secular human strategies Undermining or interfering with God's sufficient mandates that He laid down, He knows best. So we can't improve upon His plan, and that was clearly laid out in the Word of God 2,000 years ago. So, uh, here at Grace Bible Fellowship, that's how we approach missions and evangelism. We trust by God's principles, and I'd say a foundation truth is Acts 1-8. We're His witnesses. We need to be involved in defending Him, speaking truth on His behalf starting in our own backyard and to the ends of the earth. And so we've broken it down into two categories. We call it local evangelism or local missions, and then we also have global missions. And there are principles that apply accordingly. And so uh, today I just want first I want to talk about uh, local missions here at Grace Bible Fellowship and how we have many gifted people here in our church that God has blessed us with who are gifted in evangelism. And they're, Their gifts are unique from one evangelist to another. And it was responsibility of the elders to know our people, to know their gifts, also to know our weaknesses and our deficiencies. And in order to fulfill this mandate of being faithful local evangelists and global evangelists involved in the work of missions, we need to coordinate that. We need to maximize our strengths. We need to communicate with one another. We need to have a specific delineated plan. We need to find out who our leaders are. We need to provide resources. We need to provide training. We need to provide prayer. We need to provide encouragement. That's the responsibility of the leadership of a church. So over the past year plus, two of our elders, Bob and Pastor Bob and Pastor Derek, have been doing that very thing, laboring actually many hours uh, with a couple of our lay leaders. And we came up with a, an evangelism leadership team. Doesn't mean they're the only evangelists in the church, but it's just, small group of people, let's let's try to coordinate everything and get other people uh, so we can communicate a clear vision, clear plan, make sure everybody's on the same page, recognize who are our leaders all, are in all kinds of different areas of evangelism and missions, and they they have done that, uh, or at least getting it started. And so we want to launch uh, our vision and some of the fruits of our labor that have gone on for the last year and a half, uh, particularly with this evangelism leadership team, and then we want to share a little bit about it and expose you to it. So we're going to be doing and then show some highlights and vignettes over the next couple of weeks uh, that we think and trust will be helpful for you, encourage you, most of all, to be faithful to this mandate that's for all of us, that we need to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, starting in our own backyard. So first, I just want to introduce who our leadership team is. So just if you could come up here, Pastor Bob, pa- Pastor Derek, James, and Paige, uh, just right up front so some can, everybody, you know, just see who we're talking about here. Uh, and the idea is this team has talked and grappled and prayed and discussed and you guys never argued right in your meetings uh, and prayed and searched the scriptures together and came to common principles and are unified and they are people of that you can contact and talk to. If you have any questions about all this stuff that we're unveiling, well, like I said, they're not the only evangelists in the church. We have many evangelists in our church, but this is just right now, this is a team that we selected so thank you for servants uh and you can go ahead and have a seat now i just wanted you to be aware of all the folks uh that are involved uh and then as elders bob pastor bob and pastor derek would be hands-on overseeing the ministry with respect to evangelism and world missions and they've been a wonderful blessing so first number one i just want to introduce you to the team that has been formalized uh number two just wanted to highlight the call for everybody with respect to evangelism, it starts with you as the child of God. It starts with a heart attitude. It starts with a, a love for people. It, t- it starts with a thankfulness to God for recognizing what he's done in your own life to save you. And if you thought about, how did I get saved? Every one of you would have to, at some point, uh, trace it back to somebody, a person, who shared the truth with you, who was faithful, a witness, an evangelist. Because that's how God has, that's his methodology. He wants to speak through his people today. So, in other words, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm pretty confident it wasn't an angel from heaven who came to you and gave you the gospel. And you didn't hear it solely through a dream or a vision. That, that's just not God's methodology today according to Scripture. It was through a person, an individual, a, a fellow believer at some point they were faithful, and that's what we need to do. So it starts with the heart and the attitude, and we need to keep praying, God, uh, soften my heart. Give me the heart for people, for evangelism. Give me courage. Uh, provide opportunities for me. Here's a question for you. Don't raise your hand, but just think, As a if you're a Christian, have you ever shared the gospel? When's Or when's the last time you, you can remember you actually fully shared the gospel with someone? Just think about that in your own mind. When was the last time... Oh, yeah, it was with uh, so-and-so. It was a family member. It was a neighbor. Sometimes Christians get in a rut where, you know what, I can't think of the last time I shared the gospel with somebody. It's been so long. That, that's a problem. So we need to get out of that rut. And we need to be encouraged. And so that's one of the goals here, to encourage us as believers. So every Christian is called uh, to share the gospel. Every Christian is called to share the gospel with unbelievers. What does that mean? Well, uh, some synonyms for share the gospel, to plant seeds, Of the truth. God brings the harvest. We don't. We just plant seeds. It means to verbalize the content of the saving message. You got to speak up. It's got to be verbalized. Has to be articulated. I've said this before. You can't live the gospel for someone. I don't preach the gospel. I don't speak the gospel. I don't shove it down people's throat with words. I live the gospel. Live the gospel. There's two problems with that. Jesus said proclaim it, preach it, speak it verbalize it articulate it with your words with your mouth that's how they it was through a preacher jesus said in romans or paul said in romans 10 it's got to be verbalized it's got to be proclaimed and then number two the problem was saying uh i live the god we don't live the gospel we're not the gospel gospel means good news we are bad news i am bad news if people watch me long enough consistently enough Closely enough, behind closed, they're going to Ooh, that. yeah, I used to think that guy was good news. I'm beginning to wonder. Uh, sometimes he's kind of bad news. I am confused. I don't know if I can be saved by this. So we don't live the gospel. We don't model the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is totally separate from us as the good news. We have nothing to do with it. So verbalize the content of the saving message. Uh, preach the truth. Or simply tell people to follow Jesus. These are all synonyms and themes. Or tell, here's, an, here's one tell, personal one. Tell God, tell people how God saved you. Emphasizing the message that you heard and believed and how it changed your life. Tell God how people saved you. That's preaching the gospel. Or tell people how they can be forgiven. Or tell people how they can have eternal life. Or tell people how they can go to heaven. Or tell people how they can be redeemed, how they can be reconciled to the creator who made them. Or tell them how they can be born again, changed, rescued, saved, delivered, made new, adopted into the family of God. Know the true purpose and meaning of life and eternity. Those are all synonyms of the content that we share with people. Preaching the gospel. So evangelism really starts with the right heart attitude. Understanding the call and depending upon God in prayer. We need his help to do it. Okay, here are, I'll just give you a few, three goals of the unveiling of our evangelism ministry beginning today and over the next couple of weeks. Three things. Number one, we want to provide tools for you. Tangible, hands-on tools. This is in keeping with Ephesians 11 and 12 where the leadership of the church is supposed to edify the saints train the saints and provide hands-on tools for them to do the work of the ministry the saints need to do the work of the ministry the pastors aren't the only ones who are supposed to be the evangelists every christian is called to be an evangelist but they need to be trained we need to provide tools so number one we want to provide tools number two we want to provide information uh, that we trust will be helpful for you and so that's one of the prongs that we're going to be doing and then number three so provide tools provide helpful information then number three is provide encouragement and training for you, encouragement. We all need to be encouraged in the work of evangelists. I am very encouraged by evangelists we have in our church. By the way, God has gifted us with some amazing evangelists. I, I know it in many different ways, from the white card maybe, that please pray for so-and-so that I witnessed to at work this week, and I'm following up with them. And many times it's the same people saying that. You know that they're active evangelists, or just in personal conversation. Uh, you know that they're active evangelists. So they're, they're very gifted in evangelism, proactive in their daily life. But every Christian's called to do that, but some are just exemplary at doing it. And they encourage me. Wow, I need to be like that. I need to, I need to keep doing that. Or, uh, we have just gifted street preachers in our congregation. That, uh, that's a different kind of evangelism. It's a unique form. It's rare. It's intimidating. It is fun to watch. And that's encouraging to me, but I've been privileged to go and watch some of our street preachers here from GBF. And that was amazing. Very encouraging for me. We have door to door evangelists right here in our church. Old school. That's old school evangelism. Not hi, We're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's hi, We're from the Church of Jesus Christ. And we have people who do door to door evangelism. That's also I've done that. I've led people doing that. That can also be very intimidating but also very exciting and fun, very memorable. I have some scars, right? There's one, right? Anyway, so we have these wonderfully gifted evangelists uh, that God has given us to our church, so we want to maximize that. So with that, uh, I just want to share a little video for you and then a couple more other things I want to highlight after that. So let's watch this video. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone specifically to win them the Christ? As Christians, we need to get into the habit of preaching the gospel. Let's not watch the video. Uh, we'll show the video next week because we're going to be doing it over the next several weeks. And uh, I'll just say with that what that guy was going to say among other things and that's all right um one to emphasize again that evangelism that is effective starts with prayer dependence upon god and also remembering that, it, that he's given us of his spirit and that's where our residential power comes from also our evangelism needs to be in keeping with god's word his truth because he promises to bless his word, that's the most effective thing that we can share with unbelievers is even if you're just, you have three minutes and you quote one scripture with an unbeliever and you, you quote it accurately and give the proper meaning, God will bless that. The truth of that word is living. It will enter into their ears, into their mind, their conscience, their understanding deep into their soul. And get this, even if they blow you off, make fun of you and said, forget you, you don't know what you're talking about. That truth will be resident in them. After the conversation is over for the rest of that day, the rest of that week, the rest of the month, the rest of the year, the rest of their life. At any moment, God's spirit, if he so wills, will bring up that truth they heard to press and convict their conscience. That's amazing. That is the power of the living word of God in conjunction with the spirit of God, whose job it is, according to John 16, eight and nine, where Jesus said that the spirit of God would convict the sinner of sin, righteousness and judgment. And he uses the truth of his word to do that. So even just having one verse down, speaking the word of God to people, the most powerful thing that we can do. Uh, so with respect, I just want to share some specific tools that we are going to unveil and actually that we have right now and you could take advantage of tools that we have, tangible hands on tools. Uh, number one, we have uh, an evangelism website. I'm going to ask Pastor Bob to come up in just a minute, just to do a brief commercial on that. Our evangelism website, GBF website, uh, we have some tracks that are available. These have these are proven tracks, ones that we have used. Good content consistent with the gospel. Uh, they do have a different point of emphasis, uh, each one, and that's why they're all good to use together. So we'll talk more about these over the next couple of weeks. Um, the tracks uh then we also have and by the way the tracks are available in the lobby so after the service if you want to just grab one of each and for now just kind of rummage through it become familiar with it and start praying specifically about okay god how might i use this who can i give this to oh let's see i go to denny's every thursday morning same waitress she's there all the time nancy the waitress or whatever her name is and uh i don't think she's a christian but i've Developed some rapport with her. We've had a conversation or two. Maybe, maybe the next time when I give her a thirty-dollar tip, I'll give her this track. Because Christians should be generous and be a good witness. And wow, a thirty-dollar tip at Denny's—that's pretty good. She'll probably want to. Wow, he's different. She's different. Ooh, I want to read that track. What does this person believe? So these are wonderful tools. Some people, some—you know—some Christians get cynical or skeptical of. I've heard people criticize mass evangelism, you know, those that you get uh, 50,000, 100,000 people in a football stadium, and you stand on the stage, and you preach for 15 minutes the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I've heard people mock that and say, oh, that's superficial, that's shallow. Nobody gets saved at those crusades. Yeah, yeah they do. I have two friends that were saved. Really, you got saved at a Billy Graham crusade? Really? We have people in our church who were saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I have, a, I have a friend who, get this, got saved at a Jimmy Swigert evangelistic crusade. Okay, well, he's very questionable, maybe even a heretic, false teacher, compromiser, but he manages to get the gospel out, and God used that to save a friend of mine. So that's not so much the method. I've heard people criticize door-to-door. Oh, that's not effective, uh, the byproduct and fruit of that. No, see, because there's no personal connection. You've got to become a friend first before you can evangelize so door-to-door evangelism that's worth it and uh street preachers that's a waste of time because again it's the friendship factor people are walking by they're not they don't care they're, they they want to go to dinner uh and you're just interrupting them along the way they're out for entertainment they don't want to hear about judgment and wrath and god and sin that's going to mess up their friday evening so street evangelism that's a waste of time it's not effectual but no it is effectual because maybe uh for every five thousand people that go by there's one that hmm is pricked and oh and they stop and they pause really tell me more so i've seen that be effective as well and then also pe- plenty of people criticize tracks these are shallow they're superficial um but the ones that we have uh there's the stop track and that's very thorough it's actually produced by grace community church and it emphasized that jesus christ is the only way to heaven and that he is god so it's, it's wonderful so we are using that one making that available and then it's got the name of uh, grace bible fellowship on the back and then our street address if you want to give that to somebody um then there's another one called are you a good person and then james will talk a bit a little bit about how he has used these james bynum over the years uh and now how those are and it's got cartoons and so it's just a little different approach and he's seen that be effective and then also there's this one this is has benjamin franklin on the front looks like a Dollar bill and oh that's very attractive everybody like everybody lusts for money you know so oh wow yeah whoa hundred dollar bill wait a hundred um, wait a million dollar bill really can i have that and then passing these out so we have some of our people using these on a regular basis and wait kevin can you yeah kevin from can you come up here just real quick you don't have to say anything but just come up here real quick yeah because kevin this is for the critics uh who say that tracks are a waste of time they don't work uh no one can be saved through tracks but i remember if you want to join GBF, step number one is uh, you got to meet with Pastor Cliff. And all I do is I, I just want to hear your testimony. How did you get get saved? And they give their story. And those are powerful and encouraging and memorable. And I just remember that Darren Terry, one of our deacons years ago, told me his testimony. And basically he said he got saved when his brother gave him a Jack Chick tract. And it's, it's a cartoon, crazy track. I got a bunch of them. And he got saved through reading that thing. I was like, really? He said, yeah, through a track. And then I remember uh, talking to Kevin here in his testimony. Didn't you say that you, that a track was influential uh, yeah, no, in your was, life?
1: It, yeah, I remember when we were as in Los Angeles just on a vacation
0: with my family. was in fourth grade. On vacation, fourth grade in Los Angeles.
1: And it, it, it was just on the floor. Uh,
0: what I was not, on the floor? Uh, just the track. A tr- what did it look like? It just it looked just like that. You mean exactly like this one? Um Almost, exa- almost exactly like this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly it looked like exactly it looked like exactly. money on the floor, exactly. and you're in fourth grade. Yeah, and I thought it was a million. He thought it was a million dollars, <laughs> and he is a sinner lusting for money. He picks it up. That's right. Then what happened? Yeah. I mean, then
1: I read it, and I remember I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like it
0: at first. I ignored it, and then oh, because on the back it talks about Jesus, yeah. and that hurt his feelings. That disappointed him. Thought, yeah, exactly. This is not real money. What a waste of time. Anyway, keep going, Kevin. Yeah, okay, so I was going to say... By the way, happened, I said you, you didn't have to say anything, but keep going. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, I was just going to say, like, what had happened was later than when I was presented the gospel. I remember that that had really hit in the conviction of sin, but, I, but the root of it, I remember, was from reading that tract. And I remember that was the first time that it really come to hit me personally. And then, so, for me, the tract definitely
0: wasn't... Awesome. Perfect. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, kevin did you know that i was going to call you up here today no this was <laughs> just totally spontaneous but I he told me that a few years ago and i just like really those track because I, I gotta confess uh i got to a point in my life where i was critical and skeptical of track these don't work early on in my christian life i was all fired up and, and people kept throwing them back in my face people i knew relatives whatever it's like Psh, what a waste of time this is worthless this doesn't work we need to do something else anyway that's why it stood out so much wow god can use anything as long as it's a conduit to get his truth out right so this is a piece of paper Well, i thought you said it always comes through a person well a person carefully wrote this in, together and put it down and put bible verses in there so it did come through a person so we've got these available as well and then we actually have them where uh i don't know did we plagiarize from somebody um uh, break copyright well anyway we'll talk about that later um grace no i'm just kidding I think it's living waters let you do this. Uh, Grace Bible Fellowship on the back, plus our address and even our website, and one of our new websites for evangelism, gbsb.org, findforgiveness.org. Anyway, uh, with that, Bob, why don't you come up real quick? Pastor Bob, past, introducing Pastor Bob from Honduras. Uh, just a final word, Bob, about this whole project, and then one word about uh, the website. Uh, it looks like it's on, but it's not. Austin? There we go. Boom.
1: I was paying attention to the microphone. What did you say? One first one? Uh,
0: explain the website. website.
1: Um Derek did a, uh, a great job putting together a website. It is on the back. Actually, can I have the card?
0: One, oh, of, the, yes. one of
1: the things we made, there, there's three tracks, but one of the other items is actually an invitation card. Maybe you guys could pull that slide up. And it's just, this is something everyone should have a couple. Just put them in your wallet. And someone says something about needing a church, going to church. Boom. It just, it has our address, our website, on the back of it, the gospel, and you can see the website on there, www.findforgiveness.info. And Derek did a wonderful job just presenting the gospel, talking about forgiveness, talking about Christ, laying it all onto Christ. Um, and I'll let you just, you know, sometime this week go up. You can also find it through our website, gbfsv.org slash findforgiveness. So a couple of different places you can navigate to. And I would encourage you to do so. And it's just another tool. It's something you can forward to somebody. Um, So trying to find lots of different little tactical ways, whether it's a card, whether it's a track, whether it's a website that you guys can use
0: uh, to be bringing
1: the gospel to others.
0: Amen. Thanks, Bob. Um, And then regarding the GBF Evangelism Weekly Update, Uh, We will get more information about that specifically next week, Lord willing, when I have James Bynum up here just to ask him a few questions as well on things. So uh, I would just ask you to pray about our uh, ongoing local uh, church-wide ministry with respect to evangelism. Many of you are a part of it, uh, wonderfully gifted evangelists. and. Lord willing, we can all fulfill this mandate of Acts 1.8. So now I want to transition from local evangelism to global evangelism or global missions here at Grace Bible Fellowship. And uh, God has privileged our church to be a part of global evangelism and missions since about our third year of existence as a church, where we first went out to Mexico and began the, the ministry to... The orphanage there and since then god's given us opportunities uh, some of you but also for me as well to go to different parts of the world particularly to train pastors uh, in the word of god all the way from uh, ukraine been there about three times at a seminary there former soviet union communist country up until 1994 for 70 years for the word of god christianity was basically illegal uh, and other places like Siberia, uh, seminary there, amazing, where Christians weren't even allowed to be until the 1990s. Training men of God there in a seminary there, uh, getting to go to Ghana as well and meet local churches there and, uh, helping pastors there too in particular. Pastor Samuel, who preached in our church, and then Pastor Vincent, who's an elder at a church there, who actually we're bringing out, our church is bringing him out for the Shepherds Conference for the first time. So you'll meet Samuel. Well, we've met him before, uh, Vincent and we'll get to meet him again. Uh and then I've been able to be uh go to a couple other seminaries. In particular, 2 years ago I went to one in Honduras, Central America. So if we can get the map of uh, Central America up there. So uh, there Honduras is in the blue and then going north uh Guatemala and then Mexico and then you know all the way up to the United States and California. So this is Central America going down to Panama, Colombia, uh, this is a third world, they they call it a third world part of the world uh, in terms of their standard of living and literacy, very low, poverty stricken. You go there, you visit, it's, it's just a totally different style and world. And that's the way it was uh, when I was able to go to Honduras two years ago. So there's a seminary there that was started about 17 years ago on uh, a property, about 15 acres of beautiful property in the middle of Honduras and uh, the man who bought it was a Christian, and he was an elderly man, and his heart's desire was that he, he committed it to the Lord. God, I pray that someday in the future, perpetually, men of God can be trained as pastors here in Honduras. That was about 20 years ago. And then God brought uh, a graduate from the Master Seminary who graduated a little bit after me uh, to begin a ministry there in Honduras on this Christian, it used to be a retreat center, Then they wanted to turn it into a seminary campus. And his name is Carlos Montoya. He's been there about 17 years, and he's been praying and working hard, and he's there with his family and all seven of his children, and most of them have grown up by now because he's been there 17 years. And then God's brought him other partners, uh, most from the Master Seminary, but some from different places as well. And over the course of 17 years, he's been able to establish from the very rudimentary level of just Bible studies, talking to local pastors, who were, didn't have high level of education, some illiterate, some not even having a high school education, and little by little training them, holding the standard high, where they finally added, started adding classes that they could take, modules that would be two to six weeks long, first training them in the content of the Bible, and then theology, which was a challenge for them, theology. And then introducing Greek and Hebrew to these illiterate, well, Low level literate Spanish speaking, Hispanic speaking uh, pastors. But they began to develop a, a greater love for the Word of God and wanting to study it even at a higher level. And God continued to bless that. And then they added a couple of people to the staff. And then they were able to develop courses and then a two year plan uh, for these men to get a, just a basic training in how to be a pastor and how to teach the Bible the right way and adding. Preaching classes at the front end of what is expository preaching. You don't just pull a, a verse out of context and then tell a bunch of stories for forty minutes and then ask for money because that's what they do over in Honduras in uh, most of the churches. Historically, it was Catholic, cultic, mystical Catholic, voodoo. I mean, just a very strange, different kind of Catholic, Catholicism than we have here, and that's still there, deeply rooted. But what has actually overrun the nation of Honduras is a crazy, mystical, charismatic theology dominated by pastors who are into health and wealth prosperity. And what that means is most of their sermons and presentation is trust in me, believe in me, look to me for answers, and give me money, and you will have security. And that's what's the... Do- I asked him, what's the dominant religion here in Honduras? I thought he was going to say Catholicism. He said, well, actually, it was Catholicism until about 15, 20 years ago. Now it's the health and wealth prosperity gospel and you hear it everywhere and you see it everywhere when I as I'm driving two hours from the airport down the street to get to where the seminary is there are huge massive posters of self-proclaimed prophets all over the place dressed in nice suits and glittering glinging bling and gold around their neck and on their fingers pastor so-and-so reverend so-and-so and And then you just look at the the poverty uh, of where these posters are plastered and people living in shacks and trash along the highway for 200 miles or for two hours of driving that's the dominant religion and it's in the name of christianity and so uh, carlos had a challenge there he was not welcome when he came he's just teaching the bible providing a biblical seminary education teaching them greek so and over the time uh they added it uh, into a three-year program where pastors could come and then now it's a four-year program uh, a legitimate pretty much a legitimate mdiv program where men of God come from not just Honduras. They have had students from Honduras primarily, but also from, uh, get this, Nicaragua, uh, Guatemala, El Salvador. Current students, Costa Rica, uh, Colombia. They're about to get their first student from Cuba at the end of January. Uh, is that El Salvador? Can't read it down below. And then this very remote small city named Miami as in Florida that a student come all the way because he was Hispanic uh, Spanish speaking came to this seminar so this is like the only uh, biblical seminary in that they know of in all of Central America we can get a legitimate biblical MDiv four-year program Greek he everything that uh, that we would require at the Cornerstone Seminary or the Master Seminary and so they have these regular classes and then they also provide four electives throughout the program and one of the electives uh is gen the book of genesis and so i actually that's what i went last week for my second time there uh so i taught a two unit course that is required of all the students that they have to take within four years and it was on the book of genesis and uh and i taught it with the bar up here and i told the men day one so there's 36 men in my class uh out tw- about 20 of them are currently our pastors the other 12 are aspiring pastors or elders or interns in their local churches uh most of the men are 50 and 60 years old and then there's a younger generation of men as well and so two of my youngest students were 18 year old brothers love god and they want to be pastors they're serving in their local church right now but they want to be full-time called pastors it is it's a rough calling uh the pastors there are poor they don't make money they depend upon god they walk by faith it's amazing because i spent time with full-time pastors like how how do you live how do you survive how do you provide for your family it's a walk of faith with god it's amazing But I held the bar up here and I told them day one, this is a Masters of Divinity level class. And I'm going to teach this the way I would teach this same class at the Cornerstone Seminary in the way it was taught to me at the Master Seminary. And I would teach and I've taught this class before at other seminaries. And I would teach it the exact same way if they asked me to come be a guest lecturer on the book of Exodus or Genesis to their MDiv students at Duke Divinity School or Cambridge, or Oxford. I, I would teach it the same way. it right here. And that's how I taught it. And it was 30 hours of lecture from Monday to Saturday. And so I'm literally standing the whole time. 30 hours. 30 hours of lecture. I have an interpreter. Uh, we get breaks. And then I, so it's about six, seven hours a day. And then it's uh, eat dinner and then go home and then study for the next day. And they, they have quizzes. They have tests. And they did phenomenal. And some of them have already had Greek. Some of them have already had Hebrew. And it was very interactive. And I just expected them to reach the standard. And so by the end of the week, they're getting A's on their quizzes. Uh, I have them up at the whiteboard. And I'm making them uh, write down Hebrew words in Hebrew font from memory. In front of their peers, which is not easy to do. It's kind of funny because in the Hispanic culture, at least here in Honduras, is when a brother gets up at the whiteboard and he's drawing and he makes things kind of funny. Man, they're all laughing and they're mocking him and taunting him. That's love. They're giving him the love. Uh, and I got it on video because like, wow, I'd be crying if I was that guy <laughs> up there. Uh, but that's just the way they do it. Uh, and they just, and so as the week went on, uh, just developed a wonderful, deep love for these brothers. It was awesome. Um, for 30 hours as we studied the book of And the and I always take a survey uh with the brothers before I started, did this in uh, Ukraine there with the brothers at the seminary, also in Russia, the seminary there, where I taught the book of Genesis, same class, same thing. And I asked them, uh, what do they believe about Genesis one? And they, they all or is, do you think Adam was a real guy? And they all, yeah, oh, psh, well, of course, of course, gringo. What do you, what do you mean? Is Adam a real guy? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Oh, oh all right. Oh, well, that's cool. Uh So like. So Eve was really made of like a rib. Oh, yeah. See, see. Well, what about the snake? Was that a real snake talking to Eve? See, oh, yeah, see. You're, you're our teacher this week. Well, yeah, yeah, you're stuck with me. Um, OK, let's keep going. So Noah, real guy, see. And like the flood, like it was universal. See, and just they. So you don't believe in evolution. What's that? You mean you don't believe in Darwin? Who's She wow man that's but it, that's a true story but incredibly refreshing because i interact i do i literally interact with the greatest so-called well-known uh experts and scholars on the book of genesis here in america american theologians and european theologians and virtually none of them believe in a literal genesis 1 through 11 and i've talked with them debated with them pleaded with them searched the scriptures with them and that's just commonplace i just expect it now american english speaking european scholars no you can't take genesis literally It's like, wow but when i go to these other countries they just take the bible literally oh also the pastors in india they don't it's like they don't even know what evolution is they don't they don't want to hear it this is absurd this is what but this is what the bible says they think americans are they, they can't believe me that this is what some americans american christians how come so are your the people in america that claim to be christians that don't believe in are, are they really christians how can they be saved literally they were asking me that this week i was like no whoa whoa okay careful let me explain that so we had a wonderful time uh but let me just give you uh, some pictures of the highlights of the week there are just too many to share uh so this here is a family they are my welcoming family dr rob to my right dr rob kensinger from ohio and michigan uh, was a, doc, a medical doctor for about 13 years, had his own practice, felt the call of God in his life, uh, gave up everything, went to the Master Seminary, took his family, his four children, studied the Master Seminary in Southern California for three years, and then being the uh, white gringo, English-speaking guy that he is that didn't know a stitch of Spanish after he graduated from seminary, decided, oh, I think I want to go into a Spanish-speaking ministry. Oh, okay. At age 40 years old, which means he'd have to learn, an uh, old dog got to learn new tricks. And learning a language that late in life for me, that's almost impossible. Uh, but this brother uh, went to school with his wife, Sherry, in front of him, and they went to, got a little training, and then they have been there for five years, and now he is uh, fully able to converse and speak and even teach in Spanish. It's unbelievable. Uh, so I just commend Dr. Rob, wonderful family. Uh, Caleb in front of me. Uh, he's 24, sweet brother, believer in the Lord, uh, has Downs syndrome sweet as can be and uh he had bad free throw shooting form when i got there he has perfect free throw shooting form now caleb anyway follows directions okay next uh those were uh, my friends that i made two years ago there used to be five german shepherds most of them female uh zoe and chila and there they were and i think they remember me because they were kissing me okay next one and they just roam around the 15 acres of the campus these five german shepherds uh and that's a good alarm system because they have walls and then uh thing fences and it is it's it's kind of dangerous outside the campus of the seminary uh so i was supposed the agreement was i was supposed to go there and teach 30 hours monday through friday uh genesis class well when i get there and that's what happens when you travel as a pastor or just an american i guess uh, they just put you to work can you teach our Bible study? Can you preach? Can you preach in five churches on Sunday? Can you get whatever? And uh, I wasn't quite ready for that, but uh, got there Saturday night. And then next thing I know, I'm preaching two full sermons on Sunday morning. And it was a delight to do so. So here was the first one in the morning. They meet actually in a school. That's a school. And there's the congregation. And I preached for about 50 minutes on Romans 7:14 through 25. And we had communion together. It was an absolute blessing. Next. And I was sitting in the front row and there's a bunch of kids there. And this girl, she's about nine, she kept staring at me the whole time. It was hard to worship and concentrate because she kept looking at me and she's sitting right next to me. And finally I just had to take a picture. She was so cute. Click. In the middle of church. That was probably disrespectful. Anyway. And then uh, in the evening, preached at this church. uh, And those are the elders and deacons up front as they are preparing the elements of communion, an incredibly biblical church. Uh, They have a facility now. It's actually uh, came by way of the Southern Baptist Convention that is in Honduras. So the Southern Baptist Convention owns the property and they made a deal with them. And the Southern Baptist uh, Convention in Honduras is not what it is here in America. There's a lot of compromise and just weird and goofy stuff that goes on there. But they were good enough to let them enter into a deal and use this building. And so I got to preach there in the evening service. Wonderful blessing. I had a translator for both services. And those men were amazing as translators. So this is Sunday. I'm already tired. Next. Then we begin the week, uh, Monday through Friday, like I said. Uh, When I was there two years ago, the seminary classroom building was just a bunch of cinder blocks and open walls. And two years later and $30,000 of saints all over the world giving to the ministry, they were able to finish off this beautiful seminary classroom with three whiteboards. I love whiteboards. I utilized them all week long. And here is where I had the brothers, but this is probably by Wednesday or Thursday where they had to have certain Hebrew words in the vocabulary memorized and they had to know how to write it down properly. And this was an oral quiz on the board in front of their hermanos, in front of their uh, brothers. And I was grading it from the back and their brothers are taunting them. Uh, The translator is there up at the front on the left. His name is Hernan. Hernan was my translator two years ago. He is phenomenal. Uh, He knows English fully, and he's native to Honduras, and he has been, he grew up as a legalist, Baptist, he told me, and then he, uh, God uh, turned him around when he was in his early 20s. God saved him, and then he went into a ministry at a kind of a charismatic church, and then uh, started studying the Word of God, and then was called over to this ministry where this seminary is, and he started, he planted a church about five years ago. God has blessed it. It started in his living room with him and his uh, four, five family members and god has blessed and now it's about 150 people in the heart of a huge city in honduras uh, at a school he doesn't really take a salary he puts a box in the corner if people want to give but he doesn't live on that and he walks by faith Uh, i was in his home he invited me to his home uh, where i taught Wednesday, wednesday tuesday evening bible study for an hour and a half in his garage with about 40 people from all over the place who had been saved virtually through his evangelistic ministry and he's he's pointing out all those see that 65 year old man over there yeah uh I took a taxi ride from the seminary here because my car broke down. And when I got here, this taxi man is shooting his mouth off and his fellows could be. And then I got to know him a little bit. Uh, and then he told me to get my kid out of the front seat because he needs to be in the back seat because that's a violation of the law. And then Ernan said to the 65-year-old foul-mouthed taxi driver, uh, yeah, I, I believe in the law. I, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry for violating the law. And you know what? We're all lawbreakers. And the man got mad. The taxi driver said, I've, I've never broken a law in my life. And then he proceeded to say, well, actually, we've all broken God's law. What do you mean I have broken? And then he gave him the gospel and then, by the end of the conversation, the, the 65-year-old Foulmouth taxi driver agreed to go to church, and so he did, and he's been there for four years now, every Sunday. And the Foulmouth taxi driver, uh, actually, for a living on the side, he owned two brothels with his wife. And a prostitution ring. And his best buddy was a, a led a drug ring. And then so he, he got saved shortly after that, and then he called his buddy, the, the drug dealer, who had cancer and was about thought he was going to die and told him about jesus and then the drug dealer who's in his 60s who had cancer and they had to cut off his leg he thought the guy was weird what happened to you and he gave up the brothel and his wife divorced him because she wanted to keep the brothel and she still has it and he's divorced and alone and he's a christian and loves jesus and then the drug dealer his friend agreed to go to church and then he got saved so he's in the church he was at the bible study he doesn't have a leg and he's hopping around, and he loves Jesus. They have no teeth, and they love Jesus. They've lost it all. And they can't wait to go to heaven. And they talk about Jesus everywhere. So it was just, it was amazing testimony after testimony. So, Ernan, on the left, he is a pastor. Uh, he's actually in the seminary program, about to graduate this coming year. And for the last seven years, he has been translating for English-speaking teachers who come to the seminary for the likes of, have you ever heard of John MacArthur? Uh, and then others like Dr. George Zemek, Hebrew scholar, Dr. Bill Barrick, uh, Paul Washer, and many others. He's just going, you, tra- Henry Morris, and I'm like, seriously? Uh, these are like all my heroes and just the greatest men of the faith and the word. And so he's been translating for these men, getting this kind of education for seven years. Uh, so he's a phenomenal pastor, walking by faith. And we became actually dear friends because we got to be two years ago this week, got to spend all kinds of time with him and he's got a son in the class his son was the youngest in the class just to turn 18 years old next month hernan jr and out of the 36 men out of all the grades that i took hernan jr barely 18 18 highest grade in the class on everything and he knows english and spanish and the sweetest 18 year old you'd ever want to meet so next uh, so somebody took a picture of me, uh, and we were just talking about the uh, old Testament Genesis and they were loving it. Keep going. And there's me and Hernan senior on the right in the blue that's pops. And then the 18 year old Hernan junior who loves Jesus. All he wanted to talk about was the Bible and how God saved him two years ago. Yeah. I kind of remember you, you came two years ago and did that apologetics conference and my parents made me go and I didn't want to listen and I didn't want to care and I didn't want to be there and I had a bad attitude. But God saved me and I'm loving this Genesis class and I love God's word. And he wants to go to the shepherds conference, but they don't have any money. And I kept pressing Hernan on the right side uh, as to why he he said, do you want to go? Are you going to shepherds conference? Oh, I'd love to, brother. What? Well, do you want you want to go or are you going? Oh, man, I'd love to, brother. And then finally pressed him in a corner and said, well, what's the deal? And bottom line, it's because they don't have no dinero. And I said, brother, uh, well, let's pray about it. Trust God. Uh, So I fell in love with Hernan in the middle. Talk more about him. Next picture. Is there one? Uh, Yeah, there's the class. Those are the brothers. All these guys are either pastors or uh, work as interns in their church or future pastors like Hernan, the 18-year-old, and the other youngest guy in the class, 18-years-old, Olan, who wants to be a pastor. And he also was one of the best students in the class. He also uh, is learning English very well the way that the older men cannot. And so that's the key to the future of training these men at the seminary is train the younger men so who have uh, can learn english easier greek and hebrew invest in them so that they don't have to bring in english-speaking teachers at an expense like me but rather they have their indigenous people who've grown up there know the culture know the language but they know english and their language spanish and they can also teach greek and hebrew fluently that is the goal long term so that we've got hondurans training hondurans or really uh, spanish speaking people training the entire area of central america and 17 years has been invested so far and that trajectory looks good so uh, we, we need to pray for those younger men and the future of this ministry if you wanted something to pray about what was i doing while i was teaching well there's bob i remember i asked you he's going to be getting my uh, my coffee he's got this uh plush sweet it was pretty cool I think actually I think he was studying Bob actually he wasn't just doing coffee they, they called him spontaneously to, to preach twice too and so they put him to work and so he was working on the field actually the reason I asked Bob to come is because I knew I wouldn't be able to get out see the ministry talk to the administration uh, the nuts and bolts behind the ministry what are your needs what's the plan what's the curriculum what do you need uh, where is this going and Bob was able to uh, finances everything and man, they were incredibly blessed Carlos and Dr. Rob just love spending time with Bob, talking about all of that, uh, that very important stuff that makes a ministry solid on the practical end of things. So, yeah, he's not just chilling. He's studying for a Bible lesson right there. And he invoked, I think, 1 Corinthians 9, which said, uh, when you are with the Hondurans, then be as a Honduran. So that's the next slide. They like to play soccer and volleyball. So there's Bob making a spike. Uh, next picture and there's bob slamming it over the net boom what do you go bob i think you scored on that one um but i played volleyball too so that's what they would do too for about an hour you get a break uh, just before dinner and you go play either soccer which we weren't going to do or volleyball which we could handle and had a great time with the pastors there so that was wonderful fun and, and pastor bob was an absolute blessing uh to me and the ministry there so we were kind of putting our heads together praying okay what can gbf do from this point on and we we don't know yet uh for one is just let's pray for these people pray for this ministry and as god maybe provides another opportunity for me to go teach uh the men uh lord willing it'll fit in with our schedule and uh meet a need that they have uh is that it on the slides there maybe it is okay so i'm going to close with this what can we do so pray pray for our local evangelism that we shared here at gbf uh look at the tracks out there in the lobby as you go and feel free to grab one of each be thinking about someone you might be able to give that to or share it with and then also be praying for the ongoing ministry of these brothers in Honduras um, and actually I I want to put this uh, clipboard in the back in the lobby there it says let's get Pastor Hernan to Shep Khan let's get Pastor Hernan to the Shepherds Conference uh, particularly the 18 year old Hernan uh, because I think he's the future and he needs to be trained. He needs exposure. Uh, I asked the 36 men. They, they don't have any money. They live below the poverty level. I asked anybody here ever been to Israel? None of them. They, that's not even conceivable that we could go to Israel. I said, well, pray about it. Be specific. Um, so what I put here is let's get Pastor Arnon to town For those of you, who maybe God's tugging at your heart. Yeah, I want to do something tangible. Um, so I put some uh, blanks down here. If God so moves on your heart by the way i I never talk about money from the pulpit in church because it just goes against my conscience and everything about me and if i ever talk about money usually the elders have to coerce me No, you've got to talk about it at least once every two years Uh, and when i do talk about money it's usually about missions and it's usually on the behalf of someone else and jesus did say you have not or james said you have not because you ask not and jesus said ask and it shall be given so i'm asking on behalf of ernan uh a brother i got to meet who has a man of integrity and i asked him i got specific finally he told me he if he had money for the conference which is 400 bucks and air for for 500 bucks then he thinks he could make it work and i said okay brother i didn't guarantee him anything or promise him anything i said well let's just pray um so i'm gonna put this in the lobbies well leave it there for the next couple of weeks um and if you feel so led i was thinking if i could get 20 people to give uh 40 bucks man that's right there 40 people to give ten dollars or whatever you can write it on here if you don't want to if you want to give anonymously you can just put an x there and then the amount and then over the next couple weeks just let me know uh i wanted to commit 20 bucks or whatever but what i need to do is if we do get to 800 900 dollars before you give your money i want to confirm with ernan hey brother shared about the ministry with my church and the saints and we want to take care of your airfare and your conference accommodations if he can get here uh, housing is taken care of by a brother from cuba who's a christian who will provide free housing for him when he's down in los angeles so that's taken care of uh it's just those there so go ahead and or you can just you know put your email or your name if you want to if you're comfortable doing that and also if you, if you don't give to the cause that's fine as well we're just going to trust god uh, he either this is something he wants us to do as a church or not let's just lay it before him see what he does and how he moves on our hearts so at a minimum just be in continual prayer for this wonderful wonderful ministry and ernan if he does come we're going to try to get him to on the way to come by gbf and man it would be a blessing to have him preach at our church because uh your souls would be blessed from this dear brother let's go ahead and commit our day to the lord in prayer and thank him for allowing us the privilege to be his witnesses father we thank you for this day we thank you for the church we thank you for saving us for giving us identity in you and also very specific callings in our life and one of those is being a witness for you thank you for giving us the holy spirit which is the power to be effective witnesses thank you for local evangelism and all the dear saints we have at gbf who are so gifted at doing that and our example for the rest of us and also thank you for blessing the trip to honduras that you gave uh pastor bob and i just a unique and wonderful opportunity we thank you for the ministry in honduras And those faithful men there, continue to allow them to train pastors and take the word of God all over Central America and even beyond. We commit it to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.